I don't think this will deliver on the promise of, you know, interoperability, honestly. I think that is a distraction, especially in the game space. But I think it is solidifying Fortnite as that place where you can bring your digital collectibles to play. Hello and welcome back to Floorcast, the NFT podcast, episode 76. And this time I am joined by only one person. It's Chris K. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I hear you're having a bit of a heat wave over there. It is hot. I've just had to stand up on my standing desk because it's too warm for me to sit on my chair. Well, I, I wondered why your camera was sort of rising sort of ever so slowly. Yeah, that's that's what it did. It is very warm though. And it's no rain, no clouds, just warm at the moment. What about New York? Yeah, it's been warm. The, the air has cleared up after the uh, wildfire smoke from a few weeks ago. Um, it's actually fairly cool. I think it's like 72 degrees um, or something right now. So like not the stupid sort of like 90 degree heat. Um, hopefully it'll stay like this for a bit. It's like nice and pleasant. I can go out, move around without worrying about sort of turning into a ball of sweat, which, which is always a good thing. Always a good thing. What have you been up to this week? This week, mainly just stuff for floor. They've been keeping me very busy. Um, we're building our profile pages. We've got a few other exciting things on the horizon that I know Chris has been tweeting about. Um, I think like the next month, you'll see a lot of um, really cool releases uh, from the team, which is awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm I'm really excited to see what comes out of that because, you know, sometimes I think, does Chris K ship? And I'm like, the answer to that is unknown. No, I just talk loudly in a British accent and uh, people think I'm smart. Secret <laughs> revealed. Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, there's been actually loads of news. I mean, we as we just got on line, I think Powell in the US just said stable coins should be seen as money, which is interesting. And also fairly true, considering most of them are backed by, you know, US government treasury bills. So he kind of has to say that, right? Yeah, I, I think so. It would have been interesting if you went the other way, but um, yeah, I don't think... Uh, <laughs> they are not money. <laughs> yes, I, I don't think that's a viable option. But like, I, I don't know. I feel more positive than I did last week in terms of all of the SEC stuff uh, going on. I mean, mainly because they haven't really said much. Um, so it's back to the old status quo. But um, I did see one thing... Um, Last night, uh, which was basically some SEC guy um, informally saying, get out of crypto, um, and they're going to come down and really sort of kill all the exchanges. Um, not sure if that's going to happen. Not sure if uh, that's good advice. But um, there's definitely a lot of like uh, naysaying and I think um, doom uh, clickbait headlines right now. But I mean, the US is in this kind of weird situation right now, Chris K, where the kind of crypto native exchanges are getting battered and they're getting sued, berated, told to or almost forced to leave to some extent. I mean, um, you've seen the Minkleweit twins, you've seen Coinbase, you've seen Binance cozying up to like every other jurisdiction that isn't the US. And it seems as though that some of the big players are coming to play, like Citadel, 
we've also got Deutsche Bank applying for a digital asset license. We've also got um, BlackRock trying to get a Bitcoin ETF across with Coinbase as the back-end custodian while Coinbase are being sued by the SEC. It's all a bit weird. Yeah, I saw MasterCard as well um, applied to do some sort of crypto payment thing. Like, I'm not surprised. You know, as soon as regulation comes, you know, the financial services um, behemoths are going to be the ones who are sort of well-suited to sort of jump in and sort of essentially eat all the pie. They're already complying with banking regulations. Hell, they, they know what banking regulations are, which is probably a step up from a lot of the exchanges. Um, and I think they, they're in a position to demonstrate, look, you know, there's value in this technology, there's value in blockchain, Web3, etc. Um, let us drive this forward. Um, you know, it's the place to be in versus, I think, having a load of sketchy exchanges that don't necessarily comply with money laundering, financial regulations. They don't have sort of security policies, privacy policies, procedures, and everything that you'd expect from a bank. Um, so I... I, I'm not surprised these bigger players are coming in and actually, you know, started taking interest in space. And for them, you know, because you have that whiff of regulation, you know, it's both opportunity, but it's also, um, I think, a less risky sort of endeavor to be the ones who are coming in saying, okay, well, let us do this. Um, we know how to do this. We can do this in a compliant way. While Coinbase, Binance, everyone else takes the heat from the SEC. I think there might be a decent chance that one of the big players that's getting involved right now end up buying Coinbase in the next five years if there isn't like good regulatory framework set in place that Coinbase can abide to. But it just it just seems like and I wrote about it in my newsletter, not not to plug it, but I was like uh I, I was writing about stake.com, which are the the gambling site that have basically become the seventh biggest online gambling company in the world by revenues. And it's because they use crypto so they can basically play regulatory arbitrage and a lot of AML and, and gambling license laws, especially in areas where it's gray. And if you kind of look at that, them getting as big as they've gotten and Binance getting as big as they've gotten where Binance don't have a HQ and, and so on and so forth, like what is the incentive to be like a good player in the global crypto economy if the way you're going to be treated is Coinbase. Whereas on the other hand, you've got like Binance, Stake, and you know, a bunch of other exchanges and a bunch of other protocols and, and, and apps that have operated in the deregulated or the kind of gray murky zones. And they've done really well. And they then can pay their way out of fines. They can then pay their way into becoming regulated and legitimate. Um, it's no different to like Uber or I don't know. Anyone else like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit, bit tricky. Yeah, and I think like the other thing to sort of think about as well is, you know, you look at Binance; they have separate operations in the U.S. versus rest of the world. You know, I, I think you will see a lot of the sort of crypto native companies sort of really sort of seriously thinking: Is the U.S. a place where they want to continue doing business? Do they want to try and either? pull out or sell off the US part of the business. And yeah, I, I think that's where you will see a lot of mergers and acquisition, primarily led by those sort of institutional finance, ins institutional investors, um, as they try and just pick up a crypto business that they can then um, 
essentially put a bit of lipstick on, get compliant and um, position themselves to be um, a bigger player in the US market. Let's see. I mean, look, I, I didn't mean to spend that much time talking about that stuff because we have some lots of NFT stuff to talk about, including, I mean, Swoosh and Fortnite now, Chris K. And I wanted to broaden this out to this kind of conversation around Nike, Adidas and Puma, the sportswear brands all battling it out. Um, I'll be honest, I have no idea really what Puma are doing. They're just partnering with a bunch of cat-related NFT projects and I think maybe not building anything tangible that's going to be long-term. But Adidas with, you know, into the metaverse, which I have to be honest, I again, don't know where that's going. But on the other hand of things, on the other side of things, they are building at alts or alts by Adidas, which is their kind of engagement platform. And then Nike have obviously got Dot Swoosh. They've done this, their first drop, R Force One. They partnered with EA to have game uh, game assets or NFTs as game assets in future games. And then recently they've done an announcement with Fortnite, which is pretty awesome. I mean, for those of you who missed it, there's going to be like a specific area within Fortnite or a specific map where there's going to be kind of like dot swoosh co-branded. Um, and if you connect your dot swoosh account to your Epic Games account, you can mint a specific and free NFT, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, out of the three, um, Nike seemed to be the best positioned, at least in terms of, I think, catalyzing on attention. I agree. I don't know what Puma's doing. I think they're just seeing the other two doing things and trying to get in on it. And apparently cat NFTs is, um, you know, the way to do that. Um, but no, Fortnite is huge. Like, I think as soon as you start talking about in-game items, um, and NFTs, you know, that immediately comes to mind. Um, it's, you know, obviously one of the biggest, most profitable gaming platforms out there. You know, this makes a lot of sense for them. And I think this is, um, really going to be the future of a lot of, um, these projects, um, in game items and specifically Fortnite, because unlike, say, Minecraft, um, Epic seem very open to, um, working with other folks in the space to um, link identities, to bring in digital assets. And they're already really good at monetizing that with their V-Bucks and in-game currency. Um, so yeah, this is really cool to see. I don't think um, this will deliver on the promise of you know interoperability, honestly. I think that is a distraction, especially in the game space. But I think it is solidifying Fortnite as that place where you can bring your digital collectibles to play. Do you think this is going to be the, the quote-unquote future for the link we see between gaming and NFTs? Like I was, I was talking about it today. There's a spectrum, right? You can either be like Illuvium, where you've got a token, every single thing in your game is an NFT, or you can be a game where like some things could be NFTs, you know, in there, if that makes sense. So where, where do you think the biggest opportunity lies? I think it's in-game currency. I think it's in-game items. And I think it's like experience, um, uh, so the level that your character is earning within the game. Like I think some folks um, go down the wrong route, which is, okay, we want to make this entirely Web3. We want to put it as much as we can on chain. You know, we want it all to be sort of open, blah, blah, blah. If you're spending all your time thinking about sort of how to build an on-chain game and how to make it work, 
you're not really building a good game, I don't think. Um, whereas I think if you have a very clear sort of definition of, okay, well, this is where Web3 will enrich our gaming experience, then I think you can really focus that attention and build something that is sticky and that users love. And I, I think like the in-game items is the place to start. I frankly don't know if it goes beyond that. I did like um, that third web um, SDK we looked at a few weeks ago. And, you know, the benefit there, I thought, was, you know, this this isn't sort of saying, you know, put all your sort of in-game stuff as NFTs. It's like, here is a set of tools that will help you as a game developer deliver a better experience for users who are engaging with that part of um, your product. Um, and, you know, it saves you, you know, by leaning on SDKs like this, it means you don't need to build a big backend to manage purchases. Um, it's all on chain. You can sort of, if you want to, port them to another game. But, you know, ultimately, you know, all of the hard work about making Web3 is already done for you. Um, and, you know, you just plug into that. And I think that's sort of a massive sort of benefit for devs in the space. It's like, okay, don't need to worry about this blockchain stuff. Let's just go make a fun game. Um, so like the more you can narrow narrow down and the more I think you can start leaning on standardized technology, the better. And ThirdWeb also um, hired a former Meta employee to run gaming stuff recently as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, that kind of like out-of-the-box turnkey solution. Yeah, they've been an interesting one to watch. Um, you know, about a year ago, it's like, okay, well, they're not doing anything too special. Um, but in the past sort of three to six months, they've really sort of came out the gate with sort of easily deployable utility contracts. So if I want to put a payment splitter, if I want to do a basic NFT drop, a few clicks, I've got a contract. But this lean into gaming, I think, signals a bigger pivot that they're thinking. Um, you know, I honestly don't think there's much money in terms of providing template smart contracts, but providing the SDK and tools for game developers that they can license and sort of build upon. You know, I think that's a niche that not many folks are tackling um, out in the open. And I think um, they're sort of poised to do well. So doesn't surprise me that they're sort of doubling down here. Doesn't surprise me that they're bringing on talent from Meta. Um, you know, I'd imagine the team is sort of... Um, got several other ex-game folks on there as well, just given the amount of attention, but also the quality of the demo they put out. You know, you don't get that by just putting a few web developers in a room and saying, make me a game. Um, it's like they have folks who have a lot of experience with games, with a lot of experience with Unity in particular, from what I can tell. And it seems like they're also working with the open source project there to actually drive the capabilities um, that are making their way into the Unity engine. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it, just on the gaming front, because I think it is relevant, obviously Yuga just announced their most recent gaming play, which is their second like mini game. And this is interesting timing because it kind of, it coincides with Bored Apes getting down to a 14th floor, which is I think the lowest they've been in a long, long time. And there's been a lot of like, what does the future hold for Yuga? Like, should they have raised VC money? Like all this kind of thing. Where, where do you see that specific ecosystem right now? So, I mean, how would you feel, Pet, if you, um, I don't know, paid to get into a VIP lounge at an airport and you got in there and there's just a few couches with PlayStation set up? 
I see them as a bit of a contradiction. It's like, this is an exclusive yacht club. Um, you know, we want sort of the best members. And then they've done a bait and switch and suddenly, oh no, we're making a video game, which, you know, I, I think a lot of people went into sort of Thought Apes um, for the status. And I don't know if they're really delivering on that. It's like sort of reality is setting in. And, you know, it maybe isn't this sort of community of kingmakers and whatnot that uh, people were sort of sold on. The thing is, when you are worth that much as a brand and you've raised that much, like you, you have to go after every vertical that is going to have the biggest upside to, to like grow into that valuation to have any, like there's no way you could, could have just been like, well, also you said exclusivity, right? So they can't sell that many more NFTs, right? You can't just keep selling NFTs and be the board eight yacht club or, or Yuga Labs. I think regarding your analogy, I understand it. I do also think this just kind of, it just shows how almost impossible it is to have a high floor and also build stuff that's functional and sustainable for your business. And actually, I think those two things are kind of contradictory, right? Like to some extent, Yuga are going to put more energy and resource into making money for Yuga rather than like making money for their holders for like obvious reasons, right? And I think those two things contradict each other because a company only has so much resource. And I know they've got like the DAO and the Board 8, board eight Council and stuff like that, but I, I do think it is very difficult to kind of pass all those two things at the same time and ensure that everyone's happy. It's a very difficult thing to do, the win-win-win. Yeah, I think it's tricky, but I think like their core sort of vision has maybe shifted a bit from building a community to actually just sort of more more sheer panic-induced, oh no, we've sort of took loads of money, we need to sort of figure out how to do, what to do with it and sort of make it look like we're sort of returning value. You you look at other projects like D-Gods is a great example where, you know, they're purposefully separating Utes um, and D-Gods from... Um, is it Dust Labs, um, which is their software company arm? So, you know, on one hand, you know, people are buying into these communities and their goal is basically just to be a kick-ass community. And then they have the software piece off to the side that, you know, is powering what they're doing, but it's not the big thing that they're sort of um, leading with. The Bored Apes sort of community has maybe lost a lot of that focus. Um, especially with the sort of push into gaming, which I think is just very polarizing. It's like some people love it, some people hate it. Again, I, ju I just kind of think that th there was this other tweet that I wanted to uh, to point out to actually, which was by Loopify. I don't know if you saw it, Chris K, which was, it's crazy that after this hype cycle, only four NFT projects have enough money to build a AAA game. And th the relevance for this specifically is the intensity of resource required to grow into some of these valuations based off revenues sold to a retail audience, it's very difficult to like make those things mesh. And again, the more I think of it in my head, I'm like, it's just never gonna, it's never gonna work that easy. I mean, Moonbirds is a great example, right? They sold a ton of NFTs for a lot of money and they raised a lot of money as well at a crazy valuation. And at that point, your option is, well, how are we going to make more money? One of those is sell more NFTs, right? The other is like, do we make game? Do we make these mini games as Yuga have? Do we 
try and create comic books or TV series, like anything in entertainment, fashion, streetwear, whatever it may be. But like all that stuff doesn't really push any tangible value apart from discounts and exclusive access to stuff and whatever to the to the retail buyers that funded a lot of the stuff. So it's difficult it's difficult to kind of get those two over the line. And I think it's sort of really interesting to sort of also just think about, you know, the retail buyers, they maybe didn't get into this um, because of what the project is offering. You know, they maybe didn't even expect a gaming pivot around this. You know, they're looking for a quick return. And, you know, it's a great position to be in if you have sort of millions of dollars in the bank. Um, You know, you can definitely sort of extend your runway, but if you don't know what to do with it, then it's a problem because, you know, that the fact that you don't know what to do with the money is probably going to be fairly obvious to anyone looking in. And that just sort of increases the pressure to actually sort of get your stuff together and have a plan um, to sort of uh, deploy that capital in a way that builds a brand that generates value um, or otherwise sort of, you know, translates into a return for those retail buyers. And, you know, I, I don't think the way that Bored Ape is doing it is going to sort of see that kind of return. I think if anything, it's just going to sort of see a slow slide down in terms of the price of assets. You might see the occasional bump, but, you know, at the end of the day, they are going after a market and a user that is 180 degrees away from, you know, their concept of exclusivity. You know, you're building a game, you don't build it for just 10,000 people, you build it for the masses. And you need to sort of find ways to let them in. And as you do that, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you see dilution um, in the price and just, I think, the value of being in the community. And, uh, you know, going back to sort of folks who didn't even know that they were going to do a game because when they sold it, they had no idea. Um, you know, I think you, you have people in these communities that now that sort of roadmaps and sort of future plans and what people are building are becoming more apparent you know, it may not even be a community that they want to be in. One of the things that I was thinking conversely to that is like, actually, some people may have bought NFTs off the back of someone doing a gaming thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a, you know, someone, no, no, seriously, people might have thought like, wow, these guys are creating a game. I should buy its NFT. So because the value is going to go up because it will have a game, not really trying to connect those two. I'm certain loads of retail. Like, how many spam DMs have you got on Chris K where it's like, this is what we're doing, uh, we're building a game, blah, blah, blah. How many pitches have you had from potential clients where it's like, we're, like, we're going to use the money we've got to build a game or like our future plans are to have this social game or this AAA game or whatever? It's, it's pretty common, no? I don't know. I, I, I get sort of more... Um interesting pitches, um, let's say. But like, I'm familiar with sort of using Kickstarter and sort of other platforms for a game. Like, you're going in there, you're not necessarily expecting sort of to 10x your money, you're expecting a game. Uh, And, you know, if you get sort of, I don't know, some signed artwork or something, you know, it's a nice little bonus. Um, But, you know, I, I think if you're going in and sort of expecting value out of it when a project is very clearly doing a gaming thing, you're sort of deluding yourself. You know, you are not an investor in these companies. You should be following your heart and sort of backing the projects that are interesting to you. 
and doing that sort of research. If it's a game, you know, what kind of game? How far along are they? Does the team have experience building a game? Can they pull it off? Um, you know, those are sort of the things um, I'd ask. You know, Bored Apes, I think, has raised more than um, the Star Citizen people with the Kickstarter. Do I think they're a more capable team? Probably not, because they sort of seem to just ape into the game concept. See what I did there? Um, I think it's a it's a weird market. Um, it's too speculative, and I just don't um, see many of these projects ending well. Like, how is your Treeverse doing, Pet? It's not doing well. Not doing well. But they are building a game, like an actually legitimate game. So, how much can they make from the game, though? How much did you pay for the NFT? Too much. Exactly. More than the price of a game. Oh, more than the price of every game I've ever bought in my life put together. More than the price of the device that you play the game on. Yeah. Yeah. Fat protocol thesis. Great. So what is the business plan here? How are they going to sort of um, make you whole I don't again? know, Chris K. All right? I just like trees. I like digital trees and I like games. All right. But God's sake, man. God, might as well cancel this podcast now. Uh, but on that note, we do need to remind you that we are a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app community. And if you don't know what Floor is, it's your very own NFT portfolio in your pocket. An app aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. And I don't have to ask what's the latest in the world of Floor, Chris K, because you gave us a nice download earlier in the show. Um, let's finish off by talking about a few high-profile sales, mainly in the art world. So uh, Dmitry Cherniak's Ringers, the, one of the most famous ones, uh, The Goose, sold for $5.4 million at Sotheby's in the 3AC auction. Chris K, were you disappointed or happy that it went to a big uh, NFT collector in the form of Punk6529? Um, I wasn't paying attention to the auction. Um, Got it. Didn't bid then, did you? I, I was... well. First of all, uh, Chris Madden you, you're announced fun of me of being poor, so I'm going to do it to you. All right, I exactly. Chris Madden came into the office and announced that he was going to an auction to buy a goose. I thought like it was a real goose or like a statue. Chris was or in something. the running. I, I don't. I assume he probably bought half of these things um, or something. But you know, it went from wait, this isn't a real goose to wait, it's not even a golden goose to wait, that thing doesn't look like a goose. You know, it's art. Art is weird. Um, I'm more forgiving of this side of the market uh, than gaming. But no, I, I think it's good to see interest um, here. We had, um, was it the CryptoPunk auction like three months ago that was cancelled yeah. because they didn't have enough um, bidders? Like, it seems like something has reignited um, the art interest in this space. Um, and, and that's great. That is great. I mean, we've had a few 100K plus for dancers. Uh, Chromie Squiggle went for $635,000 as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, some some awesome stuff uh, happening in the art world. Again, resistant to, to a lot of market forces, which is, which is cool, I guess. Fair play to the artists. I mean, art is one of those things that tends to preserve val value. It's just you don't have that immediate liquidity. So it doesn't surprise me. Illiquid assets, the, the, they're a uh, blessing and a curse, right? Exactly. Couple of, couple of more things. Um, Zach, Zach BXT raised a bunch of cash to fight some grifters, Chris K. Can you explain this to me? Um, I, I've never heard of any of these people. And it's like, I'm kind of thinking, well, what if Zach is a grifter and just getting donations? Like, well, actually, why should I care about this? Okay. So, 
that would be the worst but also funniest twist in crypto history if Zach BXT just went, cheers for the money, I'm fucking off. He basically is a, I think, self-proclaimed crypto sleuth who sleuths many blockchains and he's the guy that uncovers all the scams. So when someone's like a paid influencer and dumps the tokens that they're paid with and they've shilled it on Twitter or they dump an NFT they've been given or they're shilling an NFT that becomes a rug, all that kind of thing. Okay, so he's making lots of friends is what you're saying. In making loads of friends. Uh, but, uh, but he is a almost a public good in his services because he never charges and he does this out of a goodwill of like making the space cleaner, right? Uh, I mean, he has a big following. I don't know if he's ever leveraged it to make money. I, I have no idea. He alleged that the... Have you heard of the Ma- Ma- Mackie brothers? Machi brothers? Um, No, I have not. So they are uh, they are NFT traders, and one of them I think is is very wealthy, and they at one point accounted for a fair chunk of the liquidity on some of the NFT lending protocols. And the the allegation is that they embezzled a bunch of ETH um, through NFTs, as TLDR, you do. yeah, as you as you do. And this has now gone to court, and. The lender guys, the the, the the defendants, are... That's what you call them, right? When you're being sued, a defendant? You're defending yourself? I think so, though I know there's a difference between like civil and criminal cases. Anyway, whatever, US law. Um, and But Zach BXT was like, I don't have the money for, for like legal bills. And people gave him a million dollars through crowdfunding on Twitter. And then one of the top crypto law firms in the, in, in the world were like... We'll cover. We'll we'll work with you on it at a discounted rate, and you can use the donations to to pay for the discounted rate. So, yeah. Here was me thinking you were going to say he's gone and hired uh, Rudy Giuliani. Um, Who is that? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Rudy Giuliani, you don't know okay. him. With seventy six episodes in, you understand that my popular culture references are so on the floor. Okay, so he was the mayor of New York during nine eleven. And then um, he maybe went a bit crazy and his latest client was uh, Donald Trump. He, he's the guy who's like face melted in the um, press conference outside of the um, Four Seasons. I've never... What? Wait, have you had your head down a hole? So yeah. He was the Clearly. one suing, uh, sort of saying there's like election fraud everywhere. And he held this big press conference at the Four Seasons... Um, in Philadelphia, but they didn't book the hotel. They booked a garden center by accident. <laughs> so he's like in this sketchy area of Philly. I actually visited it uh, last time I was there. There's like a porno book store on, store on the corner. And he's like in this sort of car park with a flag he quickly drapes behind him. And like his makeup starts running and like it's like dripping down the side of his face, like this sort of brown blood sort of texture sort of thing coming in. It was just very unhinged. You must have seen this. I'm going to try and find it right now. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I know I know the photo. Yeah, so it, it's... Yeah, he said it was hair dye. I mean, I think it's sort of worrying to sort of see something like that get, go down your face. He should maybe get that checked out. It's um, fake yeah, tan. He went very unhinged uh, for a while, and I think now he's been, like, disbarred or something. That's just um, really clearly fake tan, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But you at least stop the uh, press conference, get a hanky yeah. out, and sort of mop it up. <laughs> mop it up. Yeah. 
I guess so. I mean, a weird, weird way to be ending this podcast talking about a former uh, New York mayor. Think of some more stories, wider Web3 stuff, banter and any other business. Uh, Binance have avoided freezing US assets, reaching a deal with the SEC. In the UK, stablecoin laws approved by Parliament's upper house. Uh, Third Web taps up ex-Facebook exec for one-stop gaming calls kit, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, BlackRock have applied for a Bitcoin ETF or a trust, depending on who you ask. And there's a crypto exchange backed by Citadel, Fidelity and Schwab, uh, which has just launched operations, obviously, you know, straight after Coinbase and Binance are sued. So makes sense, right? No fishing is going on there, right? Of course not. Never, never in Wolf Street. Um, right, well, we'll finish up there. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter. You can find Corwin at wherever you want to find him. Um, not on this show. You can find Chris K at Chris Cajon on Twitter um, and no longer on Farcaster because I'm sure who the hell uses that anymore. You can find me at Pet Barisha on Twitter. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a review. And just remember that none of what we have said on this podcast is financial advice. It's just great advice. Thanks very much for listening and we'll have more forecasts for you next week. Yeah.